0: It's a very slippery path for a lot of entrepreneurs because your business will absolutely consume you if you let it to. Like it is it, all consuming and anyone who's listening that owns their business will, will get that straight away. You'll think about nothing more than your business, but you do have to, you have to build habits and you have to really stick to them. And I think that's the hardest part of all of them because we're all chronically distracted because there's always stuff going on around us. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At Umi, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information expertise in finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This conversation is with the man behind a marketing agency that has taken the life sciences and biotechnology sector by storm. Roman Segal is the founder and global president of Remarketing. And the key word there is global. So since founding the business in Newcastle in 2009, Roman has had huge success growing the agency internationally. So much so that he actually moved he and his family over to Boston in 2018 to oversee the company's US expansion. When he's not running the agency, Roman is also the host of the Molecule to Market podcast. Uh, He's an experienced keynote speaker and very recently became a published author as well. So in this conversation, Roman and I talk about his background and the values of hard work and dedication he inherited from his parents, the ups and downs of starting and growing a marketing agency, the impact COVID had on the life sciences sector, which remarketing operates in, and of course, Roman's new book, which is out later this month. The book is called The Floundering Founder, 24 Lessons to Refocus Your Business and Better Yourself. And what it describes is some of the pivotal habits that business owners can adopt to grow their business while at the same time simplifying their life. There was so much to unpack in this conversation, uh, particularly for expertise-based entrepreneurs. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy hearing from the floundering founder himself, Roman Segal. Uh, well thanks so much for coming on the podcast Roman, and congratulations as well on the release of your book you must be really excited about it
0: yeah well well firstly thanks thanks for having me on the on the podcast and yeah very excited it seems um it seems like it's taken forever i mean it hasn't actually taken forever but it's, you know, i finished writing it nearly six months ago in the publishing time and all in all those aspects uh, you know take a bit of time at the at the publisher's end but yeah it's exciting and you've actually physically got the hard um the hardback version today which arrived which it feels nice it feels good and so yeah it's it is a bit of a surreal thing just holding a book and my, my mother-in-law's friend was here and she didn't know anything about it and she was just like you wrote a book what like it's 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 quite amusing just to see other people's um perception or their perception or you know their their kind of comments when they hear that you've written a book. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean it's a it's a really good time of year as well to be talking about like personal development and like business improvement as well. So I think it when's it due out? Is it due out on 25th of January? Is, he, is that right?
0: Yeah, 25th of January should be available on kind of all the main like you know Amazon et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah I think the, we're actually what we're gonna do is we're gonna the ebook's actually gonna go on a promotional um, I think say like a pound or a dollar or something like that for people who want to get the e-version just to try and get it in as many hands as possible. Because um, you know it, it, the motive was, wasn't to make loads of money. I don't think anyone makes money from books unless you're JK Rowling or something like that. It, it is genuinely to help um, others that are you know, founders who were kind of in a, in a, in a similar position to that, that I was a few years ago. And that's uh, that's very much the focus and objective of the book
1: yeah i'm I'm sure it's it's a book that'll it'll resonate with a lot of people and you know talking about those mistakes and and uh, how to avoid them i mean it, making mistakes is obviously part of the process isn't it but yeah i think we'll we'll, we'll come on to the the sure. book and some of the lessons that you chat through um but kind of before we get into all of that uh if we can just take it right back to the beginning and talk a little bit about your background so I was doing some research and I know that your your parents ran a, a post office in just outside of Newcastle and was that mm-hmm. your kind of first experience of of work? Yeah yeah well, you have to do
0: research well done yeah <laughs> so um yeah my parents my parents ran a post office in in the west end of Newcastle for you know the entirety of my childhood actually I think they got it just before I was born and you know I I think for many people that I've got, I never class my parents as entrepreneurs, right, and I just, but they were always at work and they were never on holiday so you kind of, you have that ingrained work ethic just by seeing your parents doing it every day and you're very conscious as a parent of three kids now that I have to do the same and set the right example and, um, you know, certainly What lessons it gave me was I was working in the shop when I was seven years old, so I laugh with my eight-year-old now and say, "When I was your age, I was I was working and selling chocolate bars and all that kind of stuff in in the shop, and um, you know, still to this day, my uh my maths on that type, you know, numbers is is really good because you know, someone buys two Mars bars and gives you a quid. I mean, these days you wouldn't get any change, but in those days, you know, you might get twenty p back, and it, it gave you some basic lessons on you know kind of costing and profit and and all that type of stuff so yeah I, I don't I I've never necessarily thought myself as an entrepreneur like from day one but it's clearly in the DNA because you know I was <laughs> it was like child labor you know when I was eight yeah. years old
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it's because it's it's super long hours right the, the post office has to be open every day for you know for 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 any time that that, that someone may need to, to go there so did, did I guess did your parents kind of instill those values in you kind of that have served you really well in your own career would you say
0: uh, yeah I think you're absolutely right I don't think I necessarily recognized it until about five years ago I read a book by uh, Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers which is a, a pretty famous book and it's it was quite it resonated with me because you know it kind of I think he tells a story of um you know immigrant families in New York but I can see, I can see the, the kind of parallels between, you know, in the UK where you've got, you know, an Indian family that you know, work, parents that had kids here to try and make a better life for them. You know, a lot of my generation that are frotting, born and bred in, in the UK, we've had that example of our parents just going to work every day, doing long hours. The business is fundamental to the family. And I think I didn't necessarily recognize the value of it probably until the last five years or so. Um, but obviously that, you know, just seeing my parents, you know, I, you know, I always remember on a Friday night, my brother and I would have, one of my brothers and I would have a, a scrap over. who was going to sh- the shop in the next the next morning and it was not, neither of us wanted to do it because we didn't want to get out of bed at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And, you know, wanted to just watch, you know, go in live or whatever it was in the 80s and 90s. Um, but nevertheless, one of us was always, required in the shop on a on a saturday morning and actually my eldest brother you know he ran he ran uh, clothing shops when he was 18 and 19 and again you know i remember being in in that shop and was selling clothing garments and stuff like that and so yeah it's it's funny looking back those those um experiences are are certainly more influential than than you think you know and yeah it's it's fascinating looking back now
1: yeah, the kind of it, 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 there's that sort of tension at the time of oh, I just want to be like a young a young kid like all of the other <laughs> young kids at school and stuff. But then actually, exactly. when you get out into the the world of work, you are sort of probably suddenly realizing oh wow, I've got all of these like attributes that I just thought that was how everyone was, but I'm sort of beginning to set myself apart now. So yeah, you probably yeah you probably have a, a greater appreciation for it now uh, than Absolutely. you did previously. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. So in terms of marketing then which is obviously what you've spent the last um well you know 15, 15 years or so uh sort of embroiled in so what attracted you to 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 marketing and and, and uh, how did that sort of journey begin for you
0: yeah i mean it, unfortunately for me it's probably more than 20 years now it's you know i'm sure my age a little bit but the um you know i i, I was chatting to my wife about this recently i i distinctly remember i don't remember much from school other than just having fun and playing football with my pals and all that kind of stuff and then i did business studies at a level and i remember we had a teacher called mr armstrong and there was a lesson we did on marketing and i'd never heard of it or anything i was probably 16 or something at the time and he was talking about brand and he was talking about you know a brand is a logo and it's and whatever and they used mcdonald's as the example and i kept on asking him questions saying like well what do you mean and how does this work? And, and had a genuine curiosity for the concept of brand and marketing. And I and I remember leaving that lesson thinking, oh, this like this is really interesting. And that is probably the uh, other than you know, the odd subject here and there. I, I I remember distinctly having an affinity for understanding the kind of the influential part of it, but also what a brand means and how it can mean know to, to your audience and all that type of thing. And you know, Mr. Armstrong was a business teacher at A level. He wasn't an expert in marketing, but and he couldn't necessarily answer all the questions that I had. And that's not it's not a uh, criticism. It's just like you know he was there to just give the basics and and that ultimately led me down the path of um you know um choosing marketing at, at university and went to you Northumbria know, University. And I remember my mom's face when I told her she was I was going to do marketing and you know, a lot of the uh, Indian families in the north. used to work at the markets. that did, you know, on the side. and she was like, "Are oh, you get?" What? She just didn't have clue. she's Like, you're going to go and work on the markets and sell, you know, and sell stuff. And I was like, "No, no, it's not that. It's something different." And and I think she really worried for me at the time because she wanted me to do. My brother was a lawyer, man, and all that kind of stuff. She wanted me to do a, a classic like a professional do finance, become an accountant. You know. I wasn't bright enough to be a doctor, but, you know, that type of that type of, um, you know, there's a distinct relation between the qualification and the profession with marketing just felt very, but I kind of followed my, um, my passion to an extent and what, what grabbed my curiosity and, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I genuinely loved doing marketing at Northumber University and i learned a great deal um, I have very fond memories of, of going to university, Thank, thankfully it was before it was crazy expensive you know
1: yeah yeah so it didn't have pre sort of um pre kind of uh social media and all of all of that as well so like you know we we have very uh clear ideas about what marketing is and how businesses use it now but um it was very different landscape right Uh, back when you were studying Uh,
0: yeah absolutely and uh, you know you're right and you know I think, you know, interesting enough, even my university experience, and I went traveling around the world a year later, it was all pre-iPhone even, it was early 2000s, late 90s, and I look back and actually, I feel like my, our experience was so much better for not having that the interruption and distraction of that technology, you know, I think, you know, I have pictures of when I went around the world, and they're printed pictures, you know, they're not, um, and, and you're right, in terms of what we learned on that course were the fundamentals of marketing and actually, irrespective of how life's moved on, a lot of those fundamentals are exactly the same. You know, you have a, <laughs> you, if there is a problem that needs to be solved, then solve it and you know, communicate that to your audience. It's not that you know, complicated, really, in, in the grand scheme of things. The, I think what's completely changed is the manner in which you reach people and the competition, the speed, the technology, all those aspects massively moving. And when I was at university, actually, I worked for Heinz um, in London for a year, like a placement year, I worked there um, uh, on the Heinz tomato ketchup brand. And that was an amazing experience. You know, being 21, living in London was fun, but actually just being involved in that was just working on a global brand and we got to work on radio advertising and TV advertising and the product launch. It was incredible just to have that, that experience. But, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, what, Your parents and your values being sort like instill like work ethic was never a negotiable, right? Like you know, we had to. I was chatting with a mate who was on the. We lived together, and we we used to have to get two buses, but to get a bus, you know, at six thirty in the morning and at seven fifteen it would connect. And I look back now, going, God, that was a. I could, I mean, I couldn't think of anything worse. (laughs) You know now, you know, like get two hours sleep with a screaming baby. It's uh, it's a different world, but. Yeah, but you know, as you said, those that work ethic and that um uh, the kind of non-negotiable around getting to work on time is was um was always there. And so yeah, got great experience in on my course and in, in that placement. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you 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 have that experience with Heinz and, and you have a few kind of uh, marketing jobs and, and agency kind of experiences as well. Um and then kind of fast forward into 2009 when you obviously start uh, Remarketing, what um kind of motivated you to start a business? Like, what was there always, because obviously your parents had ran the post office and kind of been quite an entrepreneurial family, was, was there always that um kernel of an idea in your head that you would start your own business?
0: That, I don't think there was, but my wife thinks there was. So we we argue about this now because I never... I never, I can't remember ever thinking like that. But you know what was really interesting? The two agencies that I worked with, both you know, very reputable Northeast agencies, both of the owners of that business, when I left, tried to keep me with a view to starting a division or a new company. And, I, and you know, as a mid 20s or whatever, you know, actually late 20s, you're just a bit more naive and you don't see that someone can see something in you that you can't see in yourself. And, you know, ultimately, when I started marketing, it was, it was a side hustle, it was a, you know, it was a side gig and it was, the motive was as simple as, you know, the the company that I worked for was a pharmaceutical manufacturing company in in the Northeast and, uh, you know, the owner sold the business, it split into two, I was employed by one half and the other half that had been sold um, asked me to do um, PR and marketing, you know, in my own time. And the motive for starting a company was nothing more complicated than I can earn some money. So my wife and I could go traveling and, you know, that was the startup strategy. You know, you you read lots of fancy books about fundraising and all that kind of stuff. There was none of that. It was as simple as I can earn an extra 10, 15 grand a year, which was monumental at the time. And it will make my life better. And yes, it means I'm going to have to work one day on the weekend. And yes, I'm going to have to work later at night. And, you know some hilarious stories. I remember going on a stag do, wanting on. You know my mate who lived in London, Martin, and I was at the airport with my laptop. It was a Friday afternoon, and everyone's there sitting with a pint, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Got to get this deadline. Got to get. Got to meet this deadline." And and you know everyone's taking the mic because you know there's one sado there, and, and you know I wasn't a geek or anything at school, but I had made a commitment. And whether the client got their release or not, they probably wouldn't have cared. But I was like, "Right, I'm gonna do that. Shut the laptop, and then you know." <laughs> after the South of France with a yeah. you know, camping with my laptop and I didn't open it on the weekend, but you know, that was, those were the early days of, you know, you really have to graft and you've got to make a reputation. And unfortunately and for me, you know, the, um, the, I, I think it was a reputation thing, people, you know, in and around the Northeast in particular, and then more so in pharmaceuticals and healthcare had come across me and had recommended it. And then, and then, in 2011 took the decision to, um you know, my, I was still employed, so you know, I was working, <laughs> I was working three, four days a week, full time, uh, you know, long hours for an international um, pharmaceutical company, and then running a remarketing on the side. And as you can imagine, something had to give, and I was very fortunate. Uh, you know, Diane Sharp, who's been one of my mentors, who was the ma- managing director at, at my employer at the time, said, "You need to go do this. We will become a client, so effectively, you know, take your salary, and that will become." Which I was very lucky. You know, it's a great break for me, and that gave me the confidence to to go for it. and yeah, that was 10 years ago. It seems like a long, really long time ago
1: now. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So it, it, it kind of starts out as this side hustle. Uh, but then you, you're obviously working crazy hours, right? And thinking something has to give. And then, so what what leads to that decision to think, right, I'm just going to go all in? Is, is that when the, the boss of the company that you were working for said, Look, um, start this agency properly, and we'll become like kind of an anchor, an anchor client. That's
0: exactly, it. yeah, you, you bang yeah. on. And I remember we, I was living in Edinburgh at the time, and my wife and I, and uh, and we were sat in a coffee shop in some you know nice fancy bar or coffee shop in Edinburgh. And then I remember coming home, to my wife, and she tells the story now. You're like, okay, like I said, go do it, and oh, I, like, are I we going to do it? And because my wife was, she just started doing our foundation years as being a doctor. We had this thought that her, you know, because she would have a secure job in the NHS, that the risks associated with me growing the company, like we we lived, we still do live relatively resourceful, you know, resourcefully. You know, yes, we have a nice house and we've got like decent cars, but we're not flashy or anything like that. We're quite conservative with with cash and stuff like that. And so I think we always knew that you know you know we could live comfortably or not loads. And you know, unfortunately for me, that was, that, you know, sent me down a path, you know, and, and for the next four or five years, you know, it was just, I call it blind chaotic growth, that's that's what it was, you know, it was like, you know, kids in a sweet shop making it up, and I used a ton of freelancers and built my network, and and then eventually started employing some people, and, you know, it was they're great, great times. You know, I look at some young companies now, and I'm like, you've got to really cherish those first five or six years. They're so much fun because you are a bit like a toddler. You're a bit like a toddler working out the world, like and what you're going to be like and where you're going to play. And and I, you know, I, I liken a business growth to like the growth you go through as an individual in life. It's a maturity piece, and it was really, really fun. And you know, we created some great work and. We had no direction. That was, you know, that was the thing that, you know, I'm not saying I wish it, we did it differently because actually that was part of the mistakes that lead you to make smarter decisions. But that chaos that we ensued was just a laugh. It was great. You know, I don't regret it for one second. And, you know, it was, I'm sure I could have gone on this path quicker, but I had a hell of a lot of fun doing that stuff and met some great people
1: yeah you 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 have to go through those moments i think don't you like there's, uh like you say there's reading that there's 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 reading around uh running a business and then there's running and then there's running a the business and and obviously there there's kind of like it's the tip of the iceberg isn't it where you can kind of see maybe 10 15% of the issues that might come up but there's like 85% <laughs> beneath the exactly, surface yeah. so yeah so you've got you, you've got to go through that and i i think what's interesting as well uh, roman is that you know the the life sciences focus of the agency wasn't necessarily like a pivot. It was kind of because you had that experience that was why you decided to specialise. And I think there's a there's a really interesting point to be made around um, marketing agencies. There is a lot of them. The competition is is crazy, as as I'm sure you know. And um, so was was part of the life sciences focus. Obviously, that you have the experience, and then also to kind of set you guys apart a little bit from the other agencies out there
0: yeah you're right i mean we we did pivot in it from an external perspective but we did always have a solid core of life science companies and we were very successful in that space that that was the they used to pay the wages they used to keep the lights on those clients and then we did loads of fancy fun stuff on top of that but they were a bit choppier to be honest with you um and you know there's I mean, obviously you mentioned the book before and you know the, I think on the first couple of chapters in the book, I I, I take the reader through where we were at, at that point. And what we did was an analysis of you know, effectively the high maintenance clients versus the low maintenance clients in the you know a versus high and low profit. And what what I worked out, I remember doing this, and we'd lost a couple of pitches and just something didn't feel right. And you know, I, we did this analysis and worked out actually 50 half of our clients that we had no problem with, that were great to work with, that we actually made money on. were all in the life science and industrial space. Actually, left so like, you know, we are a life science agency, but we don't do doctors and patients and products. We're, we're much more in the supply chain. And that was very much the moment that we decided, right, we're gonna just, you know, we're gonna just be is kind Of niche and focused as possible, we also picked up a bit of international work at that point in time as well. Um, so from that perspective, that really excited me. That was a massive motivator me because I love traveling, so, you know, as, as childish as it sounds. Like, I loved getting on a plane and going away for international business, yeah. so did the team. You know, there aren't many, you know, there aren't, there weren't, there still aren't now, but you know, certainly then there wasn't many marketing agencies in newcastle working with companies in europe and in the states like it was unheard of and you know you imagine that's when social media started coming along and you got team members going to madrid for an event and posting it on their social media and people are like wow like i want to do that i want to work there and so there was that side of it which was kind of a nice side effect if you like if um of of what of the focus and and to be really honest richard that that focus what that niching down and really focusing on a very specific sector was probably the um the real kind of acceleration point of the business because it it meant then we were much more meaningful to to our audience when they came to our website that we spoke to their pains that you know we still do today obviously you know we speak to their pains and that they're kind of they get that we know their pains and we know the space that they're in, you know, in the industry and you know in the industry that we're in is not an easy industry you know we have phd scientists we have you know industry experts you know there's there's a massive cost associated that would put off 99% of agencies because they just wouldn't pay you know the the kind of going rate for top-notch in, in scientific pharmaceutical people in a in an agency but that was the path that we chose and and yeah and it you know ultimately led us to a, a real acceleration i think over the last six years of you know Growth. I just, yeah, I didn't see it coming at that that speed. I have to say.
1: Yeah. No. I think what's what's probably accelerated it again as well is, you know, by virtue of the fact that the life sciences sector is, you know, the language of it is very complicated. Uh, Obviously, it's cutting edge uh, science that that you're talking about. So. From the kind of marketeer's perspective, kind of breaking down all of that complex information is probably something that you you discovered was really needed if these companies yeah. were going to kind of like commercialize, I guess, the science that they were um, that they were researching.
0: You're right, yeah. And typically, you know, a lot of the companies that we worked with, I mean, less so now because we work with kind of bigger organizations, but in those days, they were owner managed companies that service the life science sector. So what they knew was they were learning how to run a business, actually. But in addition to that, they were speaking to scientists. They were speaking to procurement people. And there was complexity of the language. And there is a barrier to entry because you've got to know the regulations. You've got to know what you can and can't say. You can't just blag it. Luckily for me, I've been doing it for six, seven years by this point. And actually, my you know my relationship with this industry goes back to my first ever job, which was in two thousand and two. So I mean, you know, genuinely, I've been doing this for nearly twenty years, and so that was a that was also obviously appealing to a buyer because I could have that conversation at an in- industry level because I knew the market, I knew the players, I knew the competition. And you know, if you're speaking to you know one agency that really knows the sector and one that doesn't, you know, a buyer can pick that up very very yeah. quickly you can't just you can't just blag it you're right and and you're right and you know part of the fun was helping them go through that on that journey and kind of simplifying their message and actually making more meaningful and sometimes it's like saying that you don't need to make it too technical because the buyer might not be technical. It might be an influencer but the buyer might be someone completely different. And it's a real eye opener for a lot of companies that just don't know how marketing works. And that's part of our job is to educate people and to help them on that journey and ultimately add value to their businesses and you know, the life science sector has really boomed, obviously, in the last couple of years with COVID. And, you know, I certainly feel very proud that we've played a role in that, supporting companies. And, um, you know, we, we've been on a journey. And there's a company called Symbiosis, who we worked with in Scotland for many years. And you know, I think there was 13 people there when we first started. And I think there's 150 staff there now. And, you know, they're, they're in Stirling in Scotland. And I just think of the economic impact that's had on that region. And, you know, we, we've we played a role in that. Obviously, the, the guys that run the business have done the job. but I certainly feel very proud that we've been able to support in the wealth generation and the the jobs and all the good stuff that comes with that. that's something that uh, you know you know whilst' other parts of the industries, you know so many examples, you know retail, the like automotive sector that have struggled, like it's one of those you know great sectors that thankfully has boomed especially especially the last couple of years during difficult times during the pandemic as well.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to come on to COVID, and uh, I, I think it's it's definitely uh, impacted the sort of pharmaceutical and life sciences industry uh, in 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 a more probably in a more profound way than any other because it's had such a positive impact. I mean, the the levels of investment going into, I mean, the vaccine makers is the obvious one, right? Uh, you know, they are just you know going you know posting these astronomical figures is it is it sort of um is it strange to have been part of an industry for quite a long time where you're probably reaching out to um media outlets and and uh, journalists and things like that trying to get these these stories uh, in and now you've probably got the opposite thing where it's like right well we've got like 60 journalists so you know the, everyone wants a piece of um these these like therapeutics or they want a piece yeah. of uh they want a piece of this industry in a way that they haven't, sort of ever, ever before. I don't think. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was I, I, the the part of the market that we operate in is the the kind of supply chain. So, you know, if you take the vaccines for example, the vaccines, you know, are are manufactured but are typically are, are manufactured by obviously some of the companies that make them, but also third parties. And those third parties are our types of clients. You know, many of our clients make the COVID vaccines. You know, and the ones that you've probably taken might be, you know, certainly the one that I took and have had was made by one of our clients, which is yeah, you know, crazy. And you know, and you know, to be part of that is is an amazing. Um, it's just an incredible, you know, kind of weird kind of quirk of life. And so, the part of the market we work in the supply chain you know that typically when you're when you're developing a new drug product the chances are the drug product product's gonna fail so what companies don't want to do is invest in facilities and everything because the chances of it succeeding are, are kind of relatively low. So what tends to happen is that all gets outsourced to third parties. So you know research companies development companies technical packaging companies analytical testing like technology companies is loads. But the common denominator between all of them is that you know they target drug development companies and life science companies, and that sector's been growing for a while. I think what COVID did is it it did, um, it did expose some weaknesses in the supply chain. You know, we all we're still feeling it now when you want to go and try and buy a car, you know, but but yeah. it also in the in the in the drug space, it did, you know, getting drugs and actually not just the drug products, you know, they got the vials, the glasses, you know, the, the products are put in or, you know, the outer packaging has been, it's been badly hit because there was a lot of reliance on, you know, obviously, you know, the Far Eastern. But at the same time, you know, it's also been a bit of a, a boom time. And, and I think w- what I've certainly, my observation has been is it was always going to go in that direction. It's just accelerated a lot quicker. And I think obviously the vaccine side of the market has really, really flourished because of what's happened. And you know, thankfully for all of us and our families that, you know, the, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You know, on well, one side, you know, they're putting great profits and stuff like that. And you know, there's a lot of bad media that goes with, you know, this type of thing. But, you know, <laughs> and most of us that have had the vaccine are pretty grateful for
1: them. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> you know, it's it, and it
0: is a double-edged sword. And so I think in that sense, we've been, and is it, you know, you know, my I Suppose presence in the sector has been, you know, I've certainly benefited in that sense, and the business has benefited because we were already living in this space, but there's a spotlight to your point before, there's a greater spotlight and interest and investment in the sector now. You know, I was on a call right at the start of the pandemic, and you know, there's a an MA guy on the call, and he he said that um life science and tech are the most investable sectors in the world right now because. Who wants to invest in a high street retail store when you can invest in the next Zoom? You know, there's there's no contest at the minute. And so, and it's the same with life sciences. You know, you could invest in something or you can invest in the drug development space. And that's that's obviously just adds more spotlight and value and investment to the sector. It's a, it's a real boom time, I think, for, for life sciences at the minute.
1: Yeah, yeah, and what's interesting, I think, as well, obviously, running a running a marketing agency in that space, you know, typically when there's a recession or there's some kind of economic shock, as there was, uh, obviously, last last year in in a very big way, the first thing that would be cut, right, would be like the marketing spend, and I think most companies would have said that even just to kind of hold on in that environment would have been like a huge. Sort of success because it is the first thing that that would get that would get cut right. So, yeah, I think you probably. Uh, were, were, were how were you feeling at that time when obviously the stock market was just going berserk and and were you still worried or did you did you think? Oh well, yeah, actually, no, no we pretty-
0: were we were really worried, you know. And I, I remember we had a like an emergency board meeting in the April, and you know we we made, I don't know, quite honestly, we made contingency plans based on revenue loss, like, okay, well, different scenarios, because we just didn't know what would get what was going to happen. And one of our um one of our directors was very bullish and felt the sector would actually would do well and would grow and would succeed. And so I think that was the we decided as a business actually we're going to be bullish. We were going to continue. We were going to recruit. We didn't fail a one person. We didn't let anyone go. We actually almost doubled our team in the last year. And so we did take a very I'm gonna say courageous view. We didn't, we didn't need a handout for anyone. I mean, you know, I, I, I think what frustrates me is I think, I think, thank you know, certainly in the UK companies that couldn't operate, you know, my best friend is in the hospitality sector. They needed the help of the government. But I think what I found quite difficult to swallow is I think a lot of businesses it took advantage of the furlough scheme a little bit. And that that it is what it is, and no one will ever necessarily care as life goes on. But we we did try to take the view that we were going to invest in our people and stick it stick it out together. And I suppose what happened, you know, there's a few nuances. Obviously, the sector we worked in went, you know, kind of was needed more than ever. Actually, that's ultimately what it is. You know, people still got sick, and then obviously the vaccine piece came into the market and there's greater focus on the like mRNA te- technology that you have now, which again is just driving growth in the space that we operate in. The other thing for us is we didn't do many traditional events, so we weren't we didn't do loads of exhibition stands and booths in some of our you know our counterparts didn't. We were a very digital agency, so what happened is you know you had a client putting off doing their website, or that you know they had been for a couple of years, and then they were like, you know what, this is our time to kind of get our house in order. So we saw a lot of that as well, and and continue to do so, and um yeah, and so it you know, thankfully we have a good reputation, and we get a lot of referrals, and you know that's a you know, you've got to be good at what you do, and I think that's also served us well in terms of um I don't want to say taking advantage, because it's not the right term, but just being there to you know you know ride on that wave if you like, and and you know we if we you know if we'd done the opposite view and cut and try to cut costs. We would have missed out. We would have, we couldn't have played, We couldn't have caught up because the talent yeah. is not out there. So yeah. So I'm pleased we did it. i you know, we've got a lot of decisions wrong in our time, but I tell you what, that was one decision that having you know the, a good a good director who's a bit older and a bit more experienced to say, you know what, I've seen this before, we will be fine. And uh, and actually, you know, the the irony is, you know, going back to why we chose this sector, one of the number one reasons I chose this sector was I thought it was pretty bombproof. I didn't. Uh, it was recession proof. You know, I started in two thousand and nine and grew. And people still get sick. Still going to need new technologies. Still going to need new products. Like it is a pretty stable industry. I suppose the piece that I never saw coming that anyone of <laughs> saw coming was the pandemic, <laughs> which was going to drive demand and value into the industry, which is just probably luck and fortune more more than anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can be super proud, you know, of the fact that you, you know, you you did have that bullish outlook. And what's probably happened as well is, even by just sort of standing still and staying in the market, you, you've probably actually increased your increased your market share, increased your your presence because others will have stepped out of the market, and others will have will have furloughed and, and mothballed the businesses because they were having that uh, concern that obviously that everyone was having because nobody knew what was going on. Um, exactly yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah. and you know i think it also we're i think you know we became more attracted to potential candidates because you know we've seen more more people want to get in the life science sector than we've ever seen before what you know why would you not you know i'm sure your grandparents probably know the names of most of the drug products which it's like they've become household names you know the vaccines and things like that so i think saying you work in the pharmaceutical sector and you know, in helping in drug development, all of a sudden has a a, a kudos and a, and a and a sense of respect that it probably didn't before.
1: Yeah, and I think talent as well uh, in terms of another massive uh, crisis that we've been struck <laughs> by in the last sort of six months or so. Um, companies really struggling to find the right talent, and there's these labour shortages and things like that. So again, by having stayed in the market right through, and obviously being in a sector or having a focus on a sector that's super attractive to uh, candidates, has obviously served you guys really well.
0: Yeah, I know it, it has. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, we've we've also felt the force of the kind of Great Resignation piece as well, and you know, we've we've lost steve team members that have been with us a long time and i think what's difficult for people and even you know i think you know i probably felt this is it's difficult to separate working from home and all the COVID stress that comes with that with with your actual job in what's like what what was the key thing that kind of you know that you really didn't like about that period of life and i think it is a really tricky one for people and i think coming out of that pandemic now and I think a lot of people have reassessed their life and where they want to live what they want to do what career they've got and I think it's natural for people to say right well I want to try something different because that was a stressful period and what what we've tried to do throughout the period is just be a really thoughtful employer you know I think even if you ask people that have left our business you'll not uh, hopefully you would not hear that we're a bad bunch of people or anything like that we you know, we did loads of nice things for our team, Whether it was sending little gifts or, you know, giving them time off. And, you know, we kind of recognized that our responsibility wasn't just about paying wages, it was about looking after people's physical and mental health and also just being a nice person. And, you know, for example, you know, I know one of our you know, head of people like gave everyone a voucher to buy new bedding. Which sounds a bit crazy, but the idea being it was to encourage people to buy new bedding so they would get enough rest because we were finding people were doing silly hours and that we didn't want to encourage that type of behaviour and yeah and so and we're all now adapting to like you know do you go back to the office do you work from home and all that kind of stuff like and we have a hybrid model now which we're still getting used to and so it's no different to most businesses.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hybrid meetings are fun, aren't they? Where some people are in the office and some people are remote, and it's yeah. just like, right, who's talking at the moment? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, weird. we're all, yeah, we're all still getting getting used to that. I think so. Um, one of the other things I wanted to mention was um the way that you've expanded the business internationally, and obviously this is a journey you've been on for a while. Um, having your first clients uh, some years ago over in the states, and obviously. Uh, so you moved to Boston three years ago. I know you're obviously you're back in the UK at the moment, but what was um, what was that like to 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 kind of upsticks with the family and 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 move over there? Completely new city. Uh, obviously you, you you had your clients there, but I, I imagine it was quite a big uh, big decision to make.
0: Oh yeah, I mean I, you know it's easy to look back in hindsight and say it was a great decision, but you know I, you know we were absolutely. I had no idea how it was going to go, and I, I kind of just got to roll the dice in life sometimes, right? And just see how it goes. And for me, I, I could, I suppose there was two aspects to it. There was one which was I could see the potential of the business and having a presence in the US. And I felt I was well qualified to go there and actually really um, lead that charge. I've seen a lot of companies hire people in the US and like a salesperson. And it they spend a lot of money, it doesn't work. And so, you know, I decided that I thought I could do a good job. So, you know, I hired a manager after a six-month process. I hired a managing director in the UK to effectively run the business. And that would free me up to go to the US. And um, to the business side, I think it was was daunting and exciting. And I had no idea what it was going to go. But actually, to be honest with you, I was also, it was an adventure for my family. You know, I, I didn't necessarily always want to live in America. You know, you meet people are like, oh, I've always wanted I didn't, I didn't necessarily have that desire. but I um i quite like the idea of living somewhere else with my kids and my wife and in you know boston is an amazing place and we were for, i think we were very fortunate to go to boston rather than other parts of the us i mean i don't think you know, if the option was you know the deep south i don't think that would have been the right place for me personally but actually as a family you know boston's very feels very european feels very british is a good expat community there and we've really enjoyed life there and it's um it's been a very um a a, a incredible journey actually as a family as much as the business you know the business is a completely different animal three years later and you know it's probably three or four times the size it's twice as many people it it really is a different company and we're not a little you know we're 55 people today next time i see you we will probably be 60 people you know it's we are a very fast growing company but that adventure of just traveling around the U S and obviously COVID like anyone was a, it was a spanner in the works and grounded us for a while. And, you know, it wasn't great being away from the family in the UK for two years and, you trying know, back at the minute is, you know, spending, you know, his parents get old and you want to spend some time with them and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, to your point about remote working it also doesn't really matter where you are anymore because no one cares. And so I, you know, you know, the benefit of being in the U S was a bit limited actually, because I couldn't travel and see people cause everyone's working from home, but you no, know, it's, it's great. I'd certainly, you know, one thing I'd say about Northeast businesses is it's not a criticism, but it's more of a, I don't think Northeast businesses think big enough. I think there's quite a mentality around, well, we'll make it local or we'll make it regionally. And they don't think there's a bigger world out there. And, you know, certainly As long as it's an exportable service, we've certainly seen the benefit of that. And you know, I I don't think maybe two percent of our business is in the in the northeast now. We do have a a significant portion in the UK, but I mean, what I did not want to be reliant on was the northeast economy. You know, you have a lot of really good marketing agencies, very competitive, but they ain't that much to go around. Whereas in my mind there was a whole big world out there that we could go after and an international business in my in my opinion is just exciting you know like my my calls on a daily basis are literally with people all over the world and i never ever like take that for granted You you know we have clients i was on a call yesterday with a client in korea and then i've got a call with a client in california this afternoon then we've got i was on a call with a client in brazil the other day and i'm like this is awesome this is like this is the fun part of doing business international business and marketing and you know certainly for me anyway this is i'm kind of i got what i wished for so i can't complain
1: yeah yeah and obviously the the, the latest kind of adventure is the book right so uh, the flounder and founder it's obviously out on the 25th of, of january um so what motivated you to to write this book. Is it when you were still over in in Boston that you started oh, yeah. thinking about this? So tell us a little bit about that.
0: I, you know, part of me always fancied doing a book at some point in life, but I don't think I expected it to do it when when I did. And I, I got chatting to a, a guy who knew a publisher, and I got introduced to a publisher and got chatting to them. And I think they'd obviously seen some of my blogs and you know I write do some stuff for Forbes and stuff like that and. Um, and one thing that COVID gave us was time. And so I um, thought, okay, if I can dedicate my typical commuting and ta- travel time and just write, I think I could have a good crack at this. And, you know, I had no idea what I was going to write about. Like honestly, I didn't have a clue and you know, then went through that process of creative process of changing my mind every five minutes. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, I spent 645 to 745 every single day for year uh, working on the book and it i know part of the narrative in the story is if you you, know, you you can do anything you want if you set your mind to it and you actually make time for it that's the key in all of it you know same with anything in life you know exercise and diet and whatever like you've got to do it and you've got to stick to it and so to so the yeah, end you know the books ended up being uh, you know very much aimed at um people that are starting you know that are in the journey of Service companies, so you know, whether it's marketing or recruitment or tech or whatever, and you know, like myself, they're often experts and technicians by trade, and they haven't got a clue how to run a business, they just make it up just like we were in the first few years. And what I've found in my experience of of speaking to like minded people, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners, is they often hit a bit of a, a crossroads or a juncture, and they're kind of like, Well, where do I go now? and it's all too much, and they're not spending enough time on the business, and they're too much kind of doing you know all themselves you know they've probably done five years they've gone five years but they've never been on a course so they've never read a book or whatever and and for me w- my own personal journey was when I got to that point I went on a path that benefited the journey that uh, benefited the business but also benefited me personally because I took the time to invest in myself and so that's effectively what the book is you know it's you know it's 24 lessons of you know how to better your business and or how to refocus your business and, and better yourself and I try to write it in a way that is really practical and real and it doesn't have fancy words that you won't understand. It's very much designed for normal people that just you know, need a bit of support and might help them. And certainly the feedback that I've got is so far on those that I've read the book is it's really helped them. You know, the second half of the book is all about effectively personal development and investing in yourself. It's applicable to anyone, whereas the first half is very much based on founders of, of growing companies and, and you know it's based on all the mistakes quite, quite honestly that I've made and if I did it all again this is the 20% that I would do that I know makes 80% of the impact so um, I, I genuinely wanted to capture all of that and share it with the world and, and do it in a way that was authentic and real and you know I've got lots of honest story stuff that people won't know about me in there um, and I've tried to make it as snappy as possible as well so the chapters are pretty short and 24 of them you know my head I was like right if you read 10 or 15 minutes a day 10 minutes a day you'll get through a chapter so you know within a month not even a month actually 20 days you'll probably be done and those are the types of books that I like and you know entrepreneurs are busy people and so I kind of tried to write it for like almost an audience like myself that would do that but yeah it's been a great journey and you know I have no idea how it's going to go and I'm I don't have crazy expectations I'm just enjoying the journey and And I said before, getting an actual copy in my hand yesterday was a very surreal moment.
1: Yeah, it's like a, it's a. I imagine it's like just a phenomenal achievement because I think, like you say, a lot of people have that ambition to to write a book, but you kind of sit down at the desk with the the piece of paper, or you know, at the laptop ready to type away, and kind of all of your good ideas just go out your head. (laughs) And 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 it's that it's that grind as well, day after day after day after day after day, of just like committing to this this project and i think yeah. like that's i imagine you're probably feeling at the moment like that's the reward in a way obviously if yeah if yeah. If, 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 uh, if it's well received and and people buy the book like fantastic but like i guess the achievement is almost in finishing the project in a way
0: yeah no you're right and putting you know, up the the discipline required was you know i like in the, the you know i've run a few marathons and you really have to be disciplined with the training and stuff like that and it's almost the same it's the same process and you know I did enjoy it like I didn't hate the process I love writing and I love coming up and working with the editing team and them giving us some feedback and uh, the process was actually quite enjoyable it wasn't as painful I think the reason it wasn't as painful is because I just kept doing it and I you know the, the the fundamental premise of the book is don't don't die with regrets and and this is you know This is an example of that. I'm like, well, I'm not waiting until I'm 70 to do this because I might not have the energy or the desire. So I'm kind of like, right, well, life's given us thrown a curveball with COVID. I have a a gift of time. How can I use it effectively? So I, you know, and I certainly encourage people to who are anyone that's kind of stuck at a bit of juncture in their life of deciding what to do and maybe go through a tricky time, like I was actually at that juncture. Like I think it might help people in it was awesome yesterday because one, one guy who I know who read one of the early versions of the book, he posted something on LinkedIn yesterday and said, I'm reading this book, I'm trying to read more this year. Um, it's a hard act to follow after reading the best book that I've ever read and he tagged my book on it and I was like, oh my god, that is like the most weird thing ever and like it's almost like a goosebump moment that someone would be, um, you know, with the publisher, they, they do this thing at the start where they ask you what the what the perfect goal is and or like you know what the moment would be and I was like that someone someone's life has changed by the book like i've read books i've read so many books that have changed my life and i'm mm. so grateful for those o- authors and it was just a bit um it's incredibly humbling to see that and you know the, the guy who's read the book he's not he's not read the final version he read like a, a kind of a, a kind of first version and it really made an impact on his life so it was just it was amazing to see that kind of um impact and endorsement it's uh yeah very humbling experience
1: oh yeah that must be that must be tremendous you know to 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 have been someone who's been impacted by uh other people's work to then sort of pay that forward to someone else it must be a, a really good feeling um yeah it and, is absolutely yeah. You're right. Richard. and, and one, one of the 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 last things that i wanted to talk about in terms of the book was kind of um you know work-life balance and and kind of um you know, balancing running a business and looking after yourself and the kind of false economy of like, well, I'm going to run my business at the expense of looking after myself, which I think is quite a pervasive thing in in our culture, isn't it? In In terms of you have to kind of, you know, be all hours, everything, which of course you do have to have that, but have you found um, it difficult in the past with work-life balance? And is that part of the message that you wanted to send with the book mm-hmm. of like, you have to also invest in yourself if you want uh, your business to succeed? Yeah.
0: That that's exactly it. And that's a massive premise of the book. And, and, you know, I I'm not perfect. I struggle with it every day. I don't play with my kids enough. I don't spend enough time with my wife. I don't see my parents enough. And, but I do have, what i have done is i've I've built habits and and i have guardrails where i can and can't do stuff So for example you know i get up before six o'clock every morning because i've got 45 minutes to invest in myself so i read I journal i meditate i'm thankful you know i i'm before anyone wakes up i'm kind of off to head so i'll often run i'll go running while i'll do some exercises as well so that first hour is my hour and like that is you know, my wife and the kids know like don't leave you know, leave him. He's not worth booking in the morning. You know, and then you know is then I'm straight in obviously work mode. And what my wife and I will try and do is you know it's a bit challenge at the minute with time zones. But you know, effectively 5 5:30 7 7:30, it's tight. It's that is time with the kids, whether it's having dinner together. And like we we sit and have dinner together every single night, as long as I'm not traveling. Like that's that was a it was a great thing that came from the pandemic actually just that togetherness and spending time together um you know i track everything like how many times a week i see my parents how many times i exercise and you know what, what is tim Ferriss says, what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed and i'm a massive believer in that you've got to work out how to you program yourself and that's you know that and, and you know I, I don't obviously i'm on social media because you'll see i'll post stuff on linkedin and stuff like that but I think the worst thing I see in people is just aimless scrolling on phones and how you can use that time. I think most of us in life could get an hour back of their day just by not bothering with Twitter and Facebook and, and, and Instagram and stuff like that. I'm not saying that as if I don't use them because I do. I'm just very, very disciplined. So, so yes, I I'm a big believer in in balance in trying to find balance, but it is a it's an it's a never-ending battle. You'll never perfect it because sometimes in life. The work, like I'm going through a very busy period, but my, you know, I've we've got extra help around the help in our house to help with that at I the minute mean, because we know that's going to happen. But you know, I took six weeks off the week before, uh, the year before last just to spend with. It was maybe this last year was when my third kid was born. I took six weeks off and I spent six weeks with my kids and my family. And that you could argue that's too extreme. So like I suppose being mindful of it and building habits that kind of ultimately give you the right type of actions I think is the most important thing and, yeah. um, and actually you know the, the funniest one is listening to podcasts like you know if there's one habit you know I really can you and I are talking now on a podcast interview it's like it's greatest gift of learning I think that people don't take advantage of and you know when I'm helping out in the kitchen like if I'm cleaning the floor you know doing the floor stuff or I'm, I'm helping my wife with the washing or um, if I'm running, if I'm driving, if I'm traveling, if I'm commuting, I'm always listening to podcasts and I'm always learning. So I don't buy the excuse that people haven't got enough time to learn, I'm just not using it, not thinking about it in a smart way. Um, so yeah, so, so get off your get off social media and listen to a useful podcast and your life will be better for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen to listen to this
1: podcast or, or yes, your, or your exactly podcast. That would be, be, be no, no. Happy, no be,
0: my, my podcast isn't as good as yours. Yours is better, Richard. So listen to yours. And,
1: no. yeah no i i to- i totally agree i'm 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 really i really am a a podcast uh, convert and i i i think really what you're saying about building habits there and 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 you know recognizing where you are just being consumed by the business because you obviously you want it to succeed but if that's at the expense of like family time and those things that you care about then you're kind of on a bit of a hide and nothing aren't you so uh brilliant I exactly. think that's a really I think that's a really good place to end romance so know, yeah, thanks so much for coming on and telling us your story and uh and good luck as well good luck with with the business over the next year or so and good luck with the the, the launch of the book as well uh, um and where can people obviously get in touch with you or where can people get the book if they want to sort of find out more
0: yeah if they go I mean if you go to togal.com, which is my full name hopefully I've been in the show notes uh or, or link it's and um, you can you can get a free you get I think the free couple of chapters in there so just to, you know if you don't want to buy it or anything right away just you know consume the first couple of chapters save it for you and then there'll be a link to Amazon or whatever to to buy the book and um you know, I, you know obviously for anyone who's running their own business that's feeling a bit. Stuck around balance and things like that, or you know, just especially young entrepreneurs with service businesses. I think there'll probably be some stuff in there that'll that'll help you. And and thanks to you, Richard. You know, I really appreciate you making the time. And t- congratulations on your podcast and, and success. And you know, you're doing great stuff. And it's a it's a pleasure being on the show. And I you know wish you all the best for the year ahead. And uh, and I will absolutely send you a copy of the book actually, so if you uh, yeah please, get do, details please do afterwards in terms of, and I'll and I'll pop one in the post because so, I have managed to get some direct from the printer in, in advance yeah. So, yeah yeah perfect
1: I'll I'll and then we can have we can maybe do like a follow-up once I've once I've combed you through can all do it the uh, yeah. you can
0: analyze it and critique it and give me a lot of, <laughs> of crap when you don't agree with her that's fine that's all I'm waiting for the one star review on Amazon you know like that's what I'm waiting for yeah. and, uh, like yeah. and I'll probably just not be able to sleep for a month when I read it so it will probably yeah. be some irate staff member i suspect so (laughs) okay yeah
1: hopefully not hopefully that doesn't happen so all the all the best Roman, thanks so much again and take care thank you yeah take care so there you go Roman seagal there talking all about his life and career and what it takes to start a successful business in the incredibly competitive marketing sphere I really liked how honest Roman was about the fact that running a business is not always plain sailing. Uh, It's easy to look at someone who's been successful like he has and assume they haven't had difficult moments. But of course, part of being an entrepreneur is making and learning from mistakes. So it was really good to hear about some of the challenges Roman's faced. Uh, A couple of bits of advice that I want to highlight before I let you go. Firstly, is what Raman said about how it was really focusing in on the life sciences sector that allowed the company to begin to accelerate its growth. You know, that's a good example of this idea that the riches are in the niches and about how specializing can really help differentiate your business in the market from your competitors. So I think that's something to think about. And the other point was what Raman said about the importance of finding balance in your life and not being consumed by your business as so many entrepreneurs often are. You know, it's easy to think that taking time out for yourself is going to be to the detriment of your business, but actually maybe it's the case that looking after yourself is also the best way to look after your business. So I think that's an important takeaway as well. If you want to buy a copy of Roman's book, you can find it available for pre-order on Amazon and various other outlets. Uh, You can also get in touch with him and I'm sure he'll be able to send you a copy. You can also head over to the UMI platform as well for more advice and support on all things starting and running a business. We've got tons of content, tools and resources available there for you to have a look at. So once again, thanks to Roman for sharing his journey with us and thanks so much for listening.